It was a big week in tennis last week as the greatest of all time made his return. Roger Federer making his long-awaited comeback in Doha, getting into the quarterfinals but falling to Nicolas Basilashvili, who ultimately won the title out of nowhere. Gabinia Muguruza continued her massive season, winning the title in Dubai. I, I want to know where she's going because this season has been phenomenal for her and Christian Garin wins his first title on home soil in Chile. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo. We do have a big, big show lined up. Christophe Mallet from SBS is going to join us to chat about the French side of tennis, but also about his love for the sport in general and a little bit of cycling as well as we did with Matthew Keenan last year. But this is usually the time of the week where I would introduce Joel Frucci. Now, Joel has gone AWOL this week. I think he's trying to calm himself down for the uh, renewal of the AFL season or for the start of the AFL season with Essendon commencing their uh, their 2021 campaign tomorrow night. So I brought in someone who I've worked very close with over the years. He's a very, very good friend, and he is the Greek god of media. Or he's just a Greek god, really. His name is Jordan Kunalis. He's shaking his head at me. He works... Uh, he's an extraordinaire of a host at SEN. Uh, he does a lot of footy commentary. He does A-League commentary. He does tennis commentary. Uh, he's done cricket commentary. Uh, he can commentate paint drying, and I would listen to it because he's just that good. Jordan, how are you? I'm good. You're making me feel uncomfortable, Val, but thank you. Flattering. I'm a less sexy version of Joel, much better looking than me, but um, you've got the better you've got the better footy supporter, though. My Hawks are going to beat his Bombers tomorrow night, so... Uh, so maybe, yeah, maybe a good thing I'm on at the, at the moment. A pleasure to be on, though. Jordan, you sell yourself very short because I find you very sexy. You're just a wonderful <laughs> human being. And that voice, oh, I'm very excited to have those dulcet tones on the podcast tonight. But we've had many a chats over the years, and we've even sat at the tennis together and watched some epic matches, including Roger Federer and Tennis Sandrin last year. And that was mm. still to date one of the highlights of my tennis watching career. Um, and there's been a lot of them. But yeah, that one still stands the test of time, I think, as one of the best matches I've ever had the pleasure of being at. What? Just before we do move into a current chat, we want the fans to get to know you a little bit. So what's the best match that you've been involved in? Oh, um, jeepers. I mean, I, in terms of attending live, uh, I've attended more sort of recent Australian Opens than, than ones in the past, say, 10 years ago. So mine... Mine would have to be, as far as attending, would be more recent. This year there was a couple of good ones. I had the had the the, the pleasure. My first ever match that I commentated tennis was um, was Stefanos Tsitsipas against the Nasi Tokanakis at the Oz Open this year in the uh, in the second round. And that was that was great because being Greek myself, as you as you pointed out before, seeing Stefanos Tsitsipas was probably my favourite player and Nasi Tokanakis, so I admire a lot. That was great. Um, last year's Oz Open twenty twenty was uh, was exceptional as well. The final. Um, was unreal between Djokovic and, and Dominic Team, but um, yeah, there's probably a handful of those. I don't know if there's one that absolutely stands out. I do vividly recall that Roger Federer tennis Sangren match with you, though, and you're a you're an avid um, Federer fan, as yeah. Breakpoint listeners would know. And that was you're a very very passionate supporter of our whatever you get behind, whatever you're passionate about, you're very passionate about. So watching Roger Federer with you is a roller coaster. You can you can probably you can probably put a camera on you while you're watching a Federer match, and you get just as much entertainment. So that I do I do recall that that was uh, that was a good day. It was a good day considering you won, but yeah, it's as you can see, my passion, <laughs> my voice is a little bit croaky because I was at the MCG watching Richmond's first game last night. So. 
as you mentioned, there is a lot of passion. That voice was gone by quarter time. So, um, yeah, for the international <laughs> listeners, um, watch a game of AFL and you'll know what I'm talking about. But, um, look, we brought you on to chat about the tennis um, that's going on at the moment. And Roger Federer made his long-awaited comeback last week, much to my happiness that um, he's mm. back on the tour. And um, his first match against Dan Evans was really interesting. Um, he had his chance in the first in the first set. Looked really rusty, got into the tiebreak, was down a mini break, but ended up holding on. Second set, Evans really rebounded. Um, Federer had chances in Evans' service games, but was Evans was able, able to hold on and continue his good form throughout the season. He's played really well, won his maiden title uh, this year in the Melbourne Summer Series. And then the third set, Federer managed to hold on. Um, Evans saved a couple of match points, but Federer ultimately broke again and finished it off deep into a third set. Got that win. Came up against Nicolas Basilishvili in the quarterfinals. Yeah. And Basilishvili, and I must not, I can't stress this enough. He has not been able to hit the side of a truck since tennis <laughs> restarted. His three wins before Doha consisted of players ranked outside the top 170 in the world. He'd lost every other match. All of a sudden, he comes out and beats John Millman in three. Then he beats Malik Jaziri. Then he faces Federer, loses the first set. All of a sudden, wins the second 6-1, saves a match point, beats Roger 7-5 in the third. Then uh, then uh, knocks off Taylor Fritz in the semifinals and then beats Roberto Batista Gu in the final in straight yeah. sets. Jordan, how the hell does that happen? That was nuts. So I think the stat was he'd only won two of his last 18 matches, I think going back to March last yeah. year or something around that, two yeah. of his last 18, I think. So he'd been on a terrible, terrible losing run. Um, his only two wins had come at the start of this year. In Antalya. Uh, Pre-Oz Open. Yeah, and um, and that that was the surprise. I mean, that could be, I don't want to go as far to say it's one of the stories of the first few months of the year, but it'll be up there in the in the dot points of surprise stories this year. Nicholas Basilashvili winning. He was probably the most out-of-form player heading into that tournament, uh, and he's gone on to win the whole thing, and he's knocked off two, well, at minimum two big names on the weight, Federer and Battisto Gut, along with other, you know, relatively known names, especially Taylor Fritz and John Millman. So how he did that, um, people said it was just confidence. Maybe they're right. Um, he followed up with a loss, I think, or hasn't hasn't really followed up all that well since then. But, um, yeah, that was, that was one of the surprises. I guess it's one of the... One of those sort of anomalies that you sometimes get in tennis, but I don't. I really don't know how you, what you, how you, what you can boil it down to apart from he just had a really good run. But yeah, as far as Roger Federer goes, he was. Uh, I mean, he's he's been out of the game for over a year, so he's going to be a little rusty. Um, his I guess his agility wasn't quite there across the court. That was the word. His feet were a little slow. Surprising that I don't know. I found it surprising that he chose to pull out of this week's tournaments. Yep. I thought he would have try to play on to at least get himself back into match fitness. It doesn't really, I guess these little tournaments, I mean, they mean something, but as far as rankings and prestige goes, it doesn't mean that much for Roger Federer these weeks, apart from just getting himself match fit again. But he's decided to go the the practice route and instead of playing actual matches, he's just going to train it. So, yeah, it's... uh, it's going to be a bit of a rocky year, though, for Federer, but I guess his ultimate goal is later in the year and what is to come at Wimbledon and Tokyo. Yeah, and that's what he said. His season doesn't start until the grass courts. So he'll head to Halle, which he's won 10 times, and then he'll head to Wimbledon, and hopefully he'll be able to peak then. But I do agree. I think he should have played Dubai to get that match fitness up and to continue to build. But the clay courts will get him fit. 
because there's longer rallies. And he was trying to shorten the points a lot throughout last week in Doha. He was trying to come into the net and hitting sort of half-assed approach shots, which I don't think really worked for him because I think the timing just wasn't there. It was there, sort of. But I think he was able to... Uh, he sort of found a little bit of rhythm in that Basilishvili match in that third set. But I just think that if he starts to play the clay, gets a little bit of form back, gets his fitness up, then goes into the grass, I think it'll actually help him, despite what people what, say what about... Clay tournaments, what clay Sorry, what clay tournaments is he playing? So he hasn't said 100% yet. I think Madrid is definitely on the cards. It's a tournament that he's won a few times. He'll probably play Rome as well, I would assume, because just the sheer fact that He's um he's won that or he's it's very yeah I don't think he's won it actually but it's the same conditions as Roland Garros it's at a very similar latitude um and positioning sort of on the earth with the clay so the conditions are similar and then he'll yep. play Roland Garros and then head into Halle then Wimbledon then the Tokyo Olympics and then Cincinnati I would assume he's won that seven times before and then the U.S. Open so they're the big tournaments that he'll target throughout the year following Roland Garros. But you are right that he should have played Dubai this week. It's a tournament that he's won so many times. I think it was uh, nine, nine occasions that he's won it. So it's a tournament, and it's essentially a home tournament for him because he does have a base in Dubai. So it is very interesting that he chose not to and chose to go to the practice, the practice courts. But yeah, uh, I think when, when you are Roger Federer, um, you can kind of do as you please because you know what works best for you. But yeah, it's a very, very interesting one. And it, it is such a long layoff, though. Like, so from now, had, having not played for over a year, pretty much, and then playing one tournament in Doha, realizing he's off the pace a little bit, and saying, "All right, I'm going to take another two months off uh, until if he does play in Madrid." That's that's at the start of May, so we're at the well mid mid March now, so a month and a half. It's quite a big layoff. He could have played. You know, there's no. I don't see there there any harm in in playing Dubai even playing. I mean, from, from after this, it's pretty much you're on clay all the way through yeah. uh, anyway. So I don't know if, if he yeah, as you said, I don't know if he if he thinks if he thinks playing a couple of couple of Masters events will get him ready for the French and then and then that'll kick him into the grass season. Then you know who are we to say it's, it's Roger Federer? He knows yeah. what he's doing, but but yeah, I don't think on his return it wouldn't be any harm. You know. I don't think he'd care if he lost a couple of matches. If he was knocked out in the second round again, let's say in Dubai, you know, well, a loss is a loss, but at least it's a bit of match match fitness, match practice for him. Yep. He's Roger, I guess. Exactly. But I think he does need the points because Wimbledon have scrapped their seeding ritual or how they actually do it in the system that your previous results at the tournament count for your seeding at the next event. So if Federer finds himself outside the top eight seeds he could be screwed and have to play Nadal or Djokovic in the fourth round or even earlier. You never know. So I think that's the big worry for Federer, that he's got to make sure that he keeps the points available to make sure that he can keep that seeding, that top eight seeding for Wimbledon because that is going to be absolutely vital for him if he's going to add to his Grand Slam tally. Do you reckon he could lose it anyway? He's got Alexander Zverev, who's about 600 points behind him, and Andre Rublev is making it pretty deep in a lot of these tournaments this year, and he's he's, he's over a thousand points away. But you know, in the space of a month or so, with a couple of Masters events coming up as well, he could make that back up. You reckon Roger Federer is at risk of even dropping outside the top eight? You know, short term, he can make it back up, I guess, when he does come back back to the courts. But but even in the short term, you reckon he's, he is a risk of dropping outside the eight? Well, he's not playing Miami, and he's the defending champion. 
So he's going to lose points. Oh, there you go, yeah. So he's going to lose points. It is a guaranteed fact. And semi-finalists at the French Open in 2019, he'll drop those points as well. So this is, yeah, this is trying times, I think, for Federer. That's why I think he should have played this week, get a little bit more match practice in on the hard courts. But who knows? We're, we're, we can't really judge the greatest of all time. So... How good would it be just to just to so cut in, cut in again? How good would it be though if he does actually? So after all we've just said with him not playing, with his ranking at risk now ahead of Wimbledon, how good would it be if he comes out and actually does something miraculous? I'm not saying oh. he'll go on and win Wimbledon. He could, but even if he makes it into the final stages, if he makes it to the fourth round or the quarterfinals off the back of all this, and then he has a great run at Tokyo as well. I mean that I, that would. Uh, in my opinion, even if it, even if he doesn't win it, it would still, for me, solidify that he is still such a great, even at almost 40 years of age. Well, I had a dream the other night, this is no word of a lie, that he won the French <laughs> Open. And I, if he, he, he won't, but if he wins the French Open, I will, I don't know what I'll do, but it will be, it will be fairly drastic. I'm going to think of something for the ne- for listeners next week. If you have anything at Breakpoint Pod on Twitter, if you have any suggestions, if Roger Federer wins the French Open, give me a suggestion for something to do, whether it involves nudity or whatever. <laughs> Public nudity. Stand out. Stand out. Like Street Station, your man Kingy. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to. I'll wear a mask as well just to... Actually, we don't need to anymore, so no need for that. But I will, um, yeah, I will. I have a mankini that was given to me as a 21st birthday present, and I will wear that outside Flinders Street Station uh, in peak hour traffic at 5 p.m. I will do it. It will happen. Okay, that's that's the bet. You don't need it. Or maybe come up with other suggestions. I don't know. But look, let's continue on with the agenda. And it was Garbinia Muguruza last week, Jordan, who she is just getting better and better and better this season. What she it was she was able to make the final of the Melbourne Summer Series, somehow lost to Ash Barty. But then continuing her run, she was great at the Australian Open, should have beaten Naomi Osaka. We said this last week on the show. Uh, she should have beaten her, had match points yep. in that encounter. Uh, reached the final in Doha, lost to Petra Kvitova pretty convincingly. And then she goes to Dubai last week and manages to get over the top of Verena Kamalia Begu, Amanda Anisimova, Iga Swiatek, and not just beat Iga Swiatek, 6-love, six 6-4, six then over Arena Sabalenka in three, then over Elise Mertens, and finally a big win over Barbara Krejcikova in the final. She's putting together a really solid year that she's, it's, it's a little bit scary to think about how good she's been. Yeah, she's been she's been phenomenal. She's one of my favourite female tennis players. I really enjoy watching Gabinia Muguruza. I think she's a she's a classy player. Um, three finals, one uh, one tournament win that she's had this year, which is great. Um, that's uh, that win last week in Dubai was her first. Well, what is now I guess the WTA one thousand uh, level. Yep. Her first win on on that on that tier since twenty fifteen. So it's been oh, sorry twenty. 17. So it's been mm. quite a wait for her, and in that time, she hadn't really made many many later stages. I think the best she'd had was a four, one fourth round event in Miami, and then since then, it was it was only a couple of quarters that she made really recently. But it, it had been a bit of a gap for her. For someone of her caliber, it's surprising that she's only won eight tournaments in total. You'd think she'd been mm. double digits by now, given her longevity as well. But yeah, she's um, she's 
she's she's hit a she's hit a good patch this year, and I hope I hope for her sake that she can go on with it because, as you said, she's knocking off big names too. Like these are huge names, and had she knocked off Naomi Osaka at the AO, it would have been massive for her. Yep. But even even still, she's knocked off some some huge names since then in the in the tournaments that she's done well at. So um, I, I hope the best for her, and we know that she is. She is obviously a, a player with a caliber who can win a slam, so um, maybe that could be on the cards for her this year. I think it definitely could be. She is a French Open champion. She is a Wimbledon champion. She's an Australian Open finalist, and the hard courts of the US are fairly, um, fairly even ground for a lot of the players. So I, I definitely think out of the next three slams, she's going to be a contender for all of them. Had she beaten Naomi Osaka at the Australian Open, I think she would have won the title. And I can guarantee she probably would have won the title with the way that she played. Like, look, she would have had to come up against Which, Serena, but she'd beaten her at yeah. a Grand Slam before. Why couldn't she do it again? The way that she, the form that she's in, I genuinely think she's probably the number two player in the world behind Osaka at the moment. You reckon? Yep. I would... Uh, yeah, based, based on form. Based yeah, on based current on form. form. This year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that. There's no one really... No one else really. If you look at the top twenty right now, so Barty, you know, so so she hasn't played as many tournaments. Osaka is the best player in the world. Simona Halep haven't really seen too much of her since the Oz Open. Cannon was knocked out early. Svitolina's had a couple of chances this year, but just I don't have her results in front of me. But I know she's been knocked out in early state. Last yeah. week was crazy, by the way. Yeah. In the in the in the women's events, so yeah. there was seats falling everywhere yeah. in Dubai. Um, yeah. The up no one. Really else sticks out, maybe apart from Petra Kvitova. Yeah, I think I'd bring Yeah, I think I'd put Kvitova in that in that chat as well. Maybe Azarenka and Sviontek, but the way Mu- the the season Muguruza is putting together is next level. So it's a bit of a wait and see. The women's tour is so unpredictable, and that's what we love about it. That you can throw a blanket over thirty players, and any one of them could win a Grand Slam this year. So I think that's the most exciting thing if draws open up. And if certain matchups occur, then anyone can beat anybody. So that's that's the most exciting part about the WTA. We're very well poised with the drama and the narratives that will occur in 2021. Finally, Jordan, on this agenda is, well, th- this is one of my favourite weeks on tour every year on the men's side. It's Dubai and coinciding with Acapulco. You get the Middle Eastern modernisation that is Dubai and usually a star-studded field, which it is this year. And then you wake up in the morning, and because they're such party animals, the Mexicans, they start their matches. <laughs> they start their matches at ten thirty at night. So we wake up. It's eleven a.m. here. That's when they start. So it's beautiful. It's like we're in the perfect time zone. And this week, I have and Joel and I have discussed this on the show many, many times. Or this man, and we had uh, a guy that has worked with him, Lapo Bettacchini, um, Beccarini, sorry, has worked with him. Uh, many times and over his short career so far, Lorenzo Musetti, 19 years of age. He's reached the semifinals, but this week he's knocked off Diego Schwartzman and served for the match twice, held his nerve, first top 10 win, then was down a set against Francis Tiafo and down three love in the third set against Francis Tiafo and then served for the match against Francis Tiafo, couldn't hold on, then won the tiebreak 7-1 and made Tiafo absolutely obliterate his racket. And today, he's just beaten Grigor Dimitrov 6-4, 7-6 to set up a showdown with Stefano Tsitsipas in a battle of the one-handed backhands. Muzetti, and 
it gets even better, Jordan. Of his eight tour-level wins, six of them for Musetti boasts wins over Pablo Cuevas, Stan Wawrinka, Kei Nishikori, Diego Schwartzman, Francis Tiafo, and Grigor Dimitrov. That is insanely good for this young Italian. That's nuts. He is... He is uh, look, I'll admit, I don't know heaps about him apart from that that he won a, uh, an Australian Open Juniors title uh, pretty recently as well, two years ago. But he's, he's come out of the woodworks. And this has been... This has been so fun this year to watch some of these young guys do this. From from three weeks ago it was, Juan Manuel Serendolo on the clay for Argentina. We had Clara Tolson from Denmark yep. win the WTA event two weeks ago as an 18-year-old, yep. beating some big names along the way. And now Lorenzo Musetti is doing it as well, reaching a semi-final. So, yes, of course, in these events there's always... You know, in these in these smaller events between the big masters events and the and the slams, and I'm speaking sort of you know pointing out the bleeding obvious, but there always are a couple of surprises that pop up. But this year feels a little different. This year there's been surprises to an even greater extent. The fact that these guys are and girls are making semis and finals, and Musetti has the chance to do that. I don't know. I mean, we just spoke about um, Nicholas Basilash really last week and the, the the run of confidence he had. Can Musetti do it as well? And, and can he trump Stefano Tsitsipas, who is a great player? But to be fair, I don't feel like I don't feel like he's maybe his confidence is just a little down. He's dropped sets here and there. He's had a couple of inexplicable drop sets, drop matches as well. I don't know if he's at full confidence. Tsitsipas, his, his raw talent is, is good enough, but maybe Musetti is is in a mind frame that is well. Why can't I beat Stefano Tsitsipas? Uh, well, tomorrow. The only thing that worries me is that he's had to qualify, and he got through both of his qualifying matches in straight sets, but the fact that he's played five matches already and two extremely long ones against Schwartzman and Tiafo, that could go against him since he passed a long match mm. today. But, yeah, it, he just has to he just has to go out, play aggressive, try and hit Tsitsipas off the court, um, I know you're a big fan of Steph and the way he goes about his business and also because the nationality factor, but he is a gun and I do love watching Titi Bus play. And I just think he's going to be that little bit too good because just Musetti, just the occasion might get to him. It's a big tournament, big semifinal. Yeah. Titi Bus has a lot of work to do just to try and catch up with that top four. He's just moved into the top five. So I think he's got a little bit of work to do, Titi Bus, and this will be a match that he just needs to get done and get over the line. And to be fair to Steph as well, it's not as if he doesn't have metal either. Like he was, he was up against it, you know, pretty early on against Felix Auger Aliassime and came back and beat yep. a quality player like that. So I'm not saying Titi Pass is weak or mentally yep. weak or anything like that. Um, he certainly is. He's, he's a he's a phenomenal player. We saw that at the AO when he beat Nadal. But um, but yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe Musetti can be literally the well, not literally was a qualifier, but be the be the, the wild card, so to speak, that can uh, that can come up and trump Steph. Yep, and we've seen it this year with one Manuel Serundolo winning in um, Serundolo, sorry, winning in um, uh, Cordoba. Cordoba, and then the week later, his brother uh, Francisco. I love God, I love their names. It's so good. One uh, <laughs> Manuel and Francisco. You could make a sitcom about that, just a Spanish sitcom or Argentinian sitcom. Uh, it's just absolutely phenomenal. But yeah, those two doing well. Um, so yeah, it's um, I'm really excited for this match. Battle of the one-handed backhands, three p.m. Uh, Acapulco time. This is a tournament on my bucket list. I'm absolutely desperate to get there. And just the setting, it's right near a beach. 
very, very exciting. But we should get to our first guest, uh, Christoph Meller, who I caught up, caught up with a little bit earlier. And a very big welcome to our first guest. He is a man who is, well, he's an SBS extraordinaire. He hosts Cycling Central. He's the executive producer of SBS French and SBS Chill. And he's also a podcast award winner. His name is the one and only Christophe Mallet. Christophe, thank you so much for joining me here on Breakpoint Podcast. How are you? I'm good, I'm good, and it's always a pleasure to, to talk sport and talk, uh, talk tennis in particular. Tennis has been my, a, a long, present staple in my life. We'll it, talk about this. It is, it's the exact same with me. And the one thing I do want to ask you about is our actual first encounter uh, in person was back, I don't know if you remember, but at the 2018 Australian Open, Caroline Garcia, she was seeded sixth after her first round match. And I was in her press conference, the only um, Australian journalist in there, uh, writing for the Oz Open website, and I was waiting for the moderator to say English questions first, and I never heard it. And all of a sudden, the French journalists have swarmed Caroline Garcia, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh no, what what do I do here?" And then one one behind me said, "Oh, did you need English questions?" And I said, "Oh yes, thank you." And I think you were the only one of the six French journalists that didn't give me a dirty look. So that's how I knew you're a fantastic <laughs> bloke. Um, I don't know no, if you have I, I, because I'm, I'm between culture, you know. Like I'm hundred yeah. percent French, but I'm also hundred percent Australian. So yeah. maybe there's that side of me. You know? Maybe I, I don't know, but yeah, it was. Um, yeah, you were the only one that didn't make me feel absolutely daunted by the entire situation. <laughs> Thank goodness, Caroline was was okay, and she was a good sport about yeah. it. So that made me feel a lot better. But um, talking about tennis and, and growing up in France, who were your tennis idols when you first started um, loving the sport and enjoying watching? That's going to show my age, my friend. <laughs> this is the problem. Yannick, no, it has to be only yeah. Yannick. Uh, just because well, I was born in 75, so you, you do the math, but I'm yeah. 45. Uh, and then, yeah, Yannick won in 83. Yeah. So, you know, uh, this is when I, I started tennis myself when I was six years old. So I saw him gradually getting better and then him winning what is, we didn't know at the time, but is still the last yeah. Grand Slam for Mel. Uh, tennis player um, it's just incredible uh, I've remembered that match I, I remember that match like it was yesterday sadly uh, I also you know they, they did like you know in France we good about you know, the cartoon books yeah. for kids and there was our own cartoon books about his story and I don't think I, I've met any French person that didn't own that book you know like it was such a, a hero story uh, so Yannick to this day is one of my idols. And you know, we say we never meet your idols. Uh, and I was lucky enough a few years ago to uh, interview Yannick Noah. And that's quite interesting as a fact that he was here because he was captain of the Davis Cup at the time. Yeah. And we got chatting about tennis and he, he seemed highly uninterested about the, 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 the level of questioning we were, discussion we were having about tennis. But because you mentioned I do SBS Chill as well, we switched on music. And then like a kid, I saw his eyes popping up because he's also actually a very famous and celebrated musician and singer in France. So long answer, but the short answer is Yannick Noah, basically. <laughs> he could he could do it all, but he had, and, and I've heard this from so many people, he was a bit before my time. I was born in, in 1996, but I hear from my dad and from a lot of other people who followed tennis in the 80s that Yannick Noah just oozed swagger. And the way that he played, he just had this charisma that was... So he he just had the ability to grasp anybody that was in his presence and, and to capture their hearts and and to really implore. Like I, I've had I've heard stories about him playing Australian people in Australia and having the 
having the actual crowd support here because he was just that charismatic, kind of like what you see with Gail Monfils today. He had the flair, but he had the quality to go on and actually win big matches. But unfortunately, you did say he's the most recent male to win, or from France, to win a Grand Slam in 1983. And we've seen um, guys like Anna Clement, Joe Wilfried Songer, Henri Leconte actually get through to the final, and Sebastian Grosjean's had his own success. But they just haven't been able to crack through and win that slam. How heartbreaking has it been for the French community to see guys like uh, Gasquet, Songer, Simon, Monfils, even Luca Puy has also gone through to a Grand Slam semi-final. How heartbreaking has it been for them to not see a Grand Slam winner in the men's circuit? Strangely enough, not that much, you know, because we, we sadly, I think we are used to it uh, in, in terms of sport in France. Yes, we had enormous success on the football field. So the, the soccer field, uh, you would say, with a, with a French team winning twice the World Cup and so on. But when you look at it, Alain Prost is the last French uh, person to win a, a world championship. Yep. I mean, uh, Panis was the last French person to win a Grand Prix until yeah. uh, we won a Grand Prix last year with Gasly. Yeah. Uh, so it was the same in many, many other sports. So in a way, when you look at tennis, tennis is a bit different because we always had a lot of players in the top 50, a fair number in the top 20, and some in the top 10, and some closer to the top 5. But when you see the level of, of war and the commitment of war, uh, it's needed today to be at the top front. And, and I always and I hope we will talk about someone like Vavrinka uh, here because I've got the utmost respect for someone like Vavrinka because when you look at him, up until he was 27 years old, he was very much a French player. Yeah. You know, he was averaging in the top 20 and he was good but not good enough. But then he lift, something happened and he lifted up his game. And at the end of the day, Vavrinka now got three Grand Slams. Uh, and, and it's just incredible to think that a guy like Vavrinka has got three Grand Slams. And he's, I'm not going to say he's unknown in his country because of the Federal effect. But, uh, you know, when you look at... Uh, Andy Murray is Sir Andy Murray, yeah. and he's got relatively the same palmarès as, as someone like uh, like Vavrinka, and Vavrinka can walk down the street, I guess, in Switzerland and, and be almost free of getting swamped by, by fans. Yeah, you're exactly right, and that's and that's the thing. Andy Murray was considered part of this big four, and you know, yes, he made eleven Grand Slam finals, and Vavrinka's only made the four, but. I strongly agree that there should have been an argument for a big five, and I always said that there should be because. Stan has won the same amount of slams as Andy Murray, which is just as yep. impressive considering the sheer time it took for him to win them. And he's arguably going to go down as a champion because he was able to break through with multiple slams in this era where almost nobody else has been able to crack yep. through. And he's been phenomenal. And on three different surfaces. Yes. Uh, three different surfaces. And like the only one he will never get is probably Wimbledon yep. because it's probably too, too hard for him. But, yep. but he's, he's realized his potential. And that's bringing back to, to the French players. And I think, in a way, uh, it's a story of success, but story of success the French way. Uh, in a way that if you ask any of these guys, Monfils, Gasquet, they would say they've... they've and actually, Benoit Père is a very good example of this because in their own eyes, they achieved their lives. You know, they're living yeah. their life. They're earning a lot of money. They're, they're living the dream playing tennis. But they're not as hungry. No. Or as hungry as a Djokovic, as a Federer, as a, as a Vavrinka in that respect. That's one name I did want to bring up with you um, before we do move on. Benoit Pair is a favourite of mine and, and my regular co-host, Joel. Um, we have a segment named after him at the end of the show, the Benoit of the Week. So that could mean anything. It could mean you have a good week, you have a bad week or anything in between. But 
he is he's almost like a more flamboyant version of Nick Kyrgios that has probably had more consistent success in terms of his ranking. But what are your thoughts on him, and what are what's the general consensus of him in France? Look, with Benoit Paire, it's a really uh, it's a really interesting uh, situation because uh, there's a love hate relationship with him, <laughs> and, and I would say I fall, I fall into this this funnel as well. Uh, there's there's bits of him I love. I think when he plays well, he can play incredibly well. Uh, when he's funny, he can be very funny, and sometimes he crosses the line like a, a sad uh, drunken uncle that you really don't <laughs> want to cross. Uh, but like lately, when he sort of sh- I mean, I'll give you an example. Lately, he, he started to say, I'm rich and I've got money and that sort of thing. So he, he went more down the Tomic road yeah. than the Kyrgios road. And that's the bit I don't like. Yeah. Uh, I've got my own relationship with Tomic and that's uh, <laughs> that's something we can talk about. But the, this is the bit I don't like because, you know, we know the COVID has been affecting everyone yeah. in Europe. Uh, people have lost jobs. They've been struggling for money and stuff. There's no need of someone to show their cash and show that oh, I'm rich and stuff up, you know. Yeah. But on the other end, uh, we need to accept that Benoit Père is a guy that plays with his heart and he's got his heart on every inch of his skin. Uh, and, and there's probably a bit of a, I'm not going to say mental health issue, but he, he needs to watch out about this because he's extremely emotional and he says himself he's depressed. He's not. Uh, he, sometimes he just wants to get out of the yeah. tennis. And, and a bit like Kyrgios, he, 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 he plays, he's almost... He's gifted, he's very gifted, and it's almost a curse for him. His curse is that he's gifted at tennis. You know what I mean? Yep, yep, and that's exactly right, because he oozes talent, and he's got this ability to hit some of the greatest shots that you'll ever see, and then on the other hand, he might just frame one outside the stadium. So it's a very Jekyll and Hyde situation with Benoit Paire. But um, just before we do move on to just the more broader tennis discussion, um, the, the women's side of things, is there a little bit more optimism surrounding them considering you've had a lot more Grand Slam champions in Mary Pierce, Amelie Moresmo, Marion Bartoli? At the moment, you know, Mladenovic and Garcia are probably flying the flag with Fiona Ferro, the number one um, ranked player. But what, what are the thoughts on the women's side of things at the moment? Uh, I think very much uh, we are on the verge. Uh, there's Ocean, um What's her name? Ocean Dodin. Dodin. Yeah, Ocean Dodin as well. I, I think I would tend towards someone like Ocean Dodin to be the next level of the next generation coming up. But yep. what you can see as well in the age, there's a big gap in between. And I'm not sure Garcia would ever raise up higher than where she's where she's at and where she's been. Mladenovic has had incredible success in doubles and yep. mixed doubles. And it's always a shock to people when you check out Mladenovic's uh, Wikipedia page and you look at how much earnings she's made around her career. You go, Mladenovu. You know, most people just might not know her, but you go, she's earned that much yep. on the circuit, but she's an incredible doubles player. Uh, so, you know... In a, Sorry, this dog is, uh, is barking, <laughs> but he, he might not agree. But uh, in, in a way, in a way, in a way, it's very interesting because I think there is a gap in generation in women's tennis that we'll have to leave. We'll have to go through the desert before we have someone like Océane Dodin yep. uh, being able to do anything. But we also have to to bring Marion Bartoli because Marion Bartoli has had uh, quite an incredible career as well, winning Wimbledon and retiring straight after, pretty much. Um, and, and same thing, her, her life went into shambles and she seemed to be settling now. But uh, Bartoli, for a long time, I think there's a risk of her being the last French woman to win a Grand Slam. You know, this is this is the risk I think we've got with, the, with French tennis. Yeah, it's and it kind of just sort of went 
went downhill a little bit. We had Garcia and Mladenovic in the top 10 at very similar times. But yeah, it just they, they never really kicked on to have that big result at a slam. I think there was 2017 French Open when Mladenovic did make the quarterfinals. But it was, yeah, it's been very slim picking since then. But it's looking at... I, th- I think if I, if I can add one thing is uh, yeah. in this sense, there's a... I think in rule, uh, and this might change because the presidency has changed at the yes. French Federation. Yep. Uh, but the French Federation is probably to blame in that respect yep. because they've been, in a way, cover, um, protecting the players so much from a younger age, giving them so much facility, giving them so much of an easier, inverted comma, life uh, along the way that they come into this big arena with big professionals and big level as very in, in a cotton wool area yeah. they're not hungry they're not hungry for for with victory no matter what it is in the woman's side and the, the man's side uh, and then it's a very difficult sport tennis it's a very difficult sport in between the years more than anything that more than physical uh, and this is where i think the federation needs to move in into the 21st century yeah. and prepare the younger player maybe better for what's happening in their head not just focusing on the physical and the game itself yep and even what happened last year with how they just pretty much launched Roland Garros into that October time slot without really telling anybody. And Bernard Giudicelli was trying to get the tournament done so that he could possibly win the election in February. But that obviously hasn't panned out for him. But it is it is interesting when talking about the French Open, Christoph, that um, it's, it's such a big event in the tennis calendar. But in France... It, Maybe put it compare it to the Tour de France. Which one draws more fanfare every year? Because cycling is one of your loves, and so is tennis. Which one is the biggest spectacle in your eyes? I've, I've been lucky to to cover both for SBS, so yeah. I, can, I can talk from actually being on the ground. Uh, definitely the Tour de France. Yeah. Uh, definitely the Tour de France because the Tour de France is uh, is uh, and I might get some tennis fans angry there, but uh, the Tour de France is a very popular sport cycling yeah. because it actually goes to the people. People don't have to pay for it, and it goes to the, your back street, your neighbor street, your yeah. friend street. Tennis, you have to go to the tennis, and it's actually relatively expensive compared to uh, to what it is in Australia, and it's actually an, an elite kind of event and a very corporate kind of event. So, uh, having said this, you know, like growing up for me, the two weeks of Roland Garros were just exceptional because it's, the, it's your end of your, your studies. It's it's nearly the holidays. It smells like you know you start feeling the, the holiday period. It's yeah. nice. It's nice weather. The clay color, you know, I've played a lot on clay growing up, so it's hard to distinguish. But I would say the Tour de France is a lot more popular with the masses. Uh, but the, the, being at the uh, last time before I went for SBS at the at Roland Garros, the last time I was there is when I was fourteen. Yeah. Uh, so, but funnily enough, the event hasn't changed that much. Uh, so I was impressed by the fact that actually, oh, that's what they call a tradition. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's very in, ingrained in some sort of tradition, but not included in it like Wimbledon. So it's kind of a this sort of French cool yeah. uh, approach to the to the to the event. So it's it's a lot. It's an event I loved, but in terms of popularity, yes, in numbers, it's definitely the Tour de France. Yeah, and you see that when the when the climbs up Alpe d'Huez and Mont Ventoux are on your television screens on SBS and you just see the sheer volume. Well, one million of, people on the Mont Ventoux. There's one million people on Mont Ventoux when he goes there. It's one, one of it's something that's on my bucket list to, to go and watch and stand up above Do the it. tree line and yeah. be one of those idiots that runs up alongside the, the yellow jersey. I would absolutely love to do it because it's just it is one of the most remarkable spectacles in sport. But moving on to the current tennis situation, and we've had two and a half or a month and a half or actually two months, considering there was a bit of a three-week layoff. But 
this season so far, it's been, and you were at the Australian Open for SBS, it's been a very interesting one. We've seen some phenomenal results on both sides. Which players have impressed you the most in 2021 so far? Well, it's a, it's a big one. Kyrgios, I would say, actually. Kyrgios yeah. impressed me a fair bit at the Australian Open. I think he, he, he did display a lot. Actually, he did display a lot of maturity into 2020 in his comments. And yeah. he seems to be the only sane one yes. in, in this world in what he was saying about the COVID. You know, like he, when he saw stuff, the antics that uh, Novak was doing yeah. and uh, all this clique of, of friends around him, Zverev and so on. And all of a sudden, Kyrgios seemed like the same one, yeah. you know, he seemed, and he played extremely well. And when you saw the match against Hugo Humbert, uh, that match was incredible because he was in a bit of, honestly, he was in a bit of trouble. Yeah. And the way he, come out, he came out of that match was just incredible, yeah. to be honest. So it might be a controversial one, but I would say Kyrgios at the minute is impressing me in gaining his maturity. Uh, even all the antics with his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, yeah. we're not too sure. Uh, he, he didn't, I think he dealt he dealt with it a bit more maturely than he would have done two years ago. No, yeah. he, he definitely has. And what about on the on the women's side? Well, Zviatek. for me, Zviatek oh, yeah. is a is you know I I seeing what she did at Roland Garros was incredible, and backing it up. Okay, she didn't win here, but she sort of backed it up with the level of tennis. You see that she it's not a fluke so far. So for me, Zviatek is a, is one to watch. I've been quite. Um, Happily watching, uh, she's got good, good, good uh, level of tennis. Uh, of course, there's Osaka. You can, you cannot rule out yeah. Osaka, but I think if we just uh, go outside of the obvious, uh, Zviatek for me is is one to, to to really enjoy watching. Yep, and we we had a discussion about her on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I said that she's got time. She's only she's so young. She's got yeah. time, and she could be easily a player that wins in excess of five grand slams with the way that she plays because she can change the angles very well. She can change her pace of shot very well and she's strong on all wings and that's not easy to do and especially yeah. to do that on the clay. Um, and what she did to Halep on the clay was probably the most impressive last year because Halep was by yeah. far and away the favourite for the French Open and was unstoppable almost. And Swiatek did whatever she pleased that day. So... The way that she is going about her business, she is definitely up there. And Christoph, the best players that you've ever watched, this is something I like to ask a lot of people, and it's so different. The answers are so varying and so different. But the best players that you've ever had the privilege of watching, I'd love to know who they are. Yeah, it's easy for me. It's Gilles Simon. Yeah. And you can choke on this one. Uh, but Gilles Simon, and I remember it, and I tell you for several things, is because uh, I can't remember the year it was, but he was playing Chilich on court 17 at the Australian Open. And Chilich was leading two sets uh, to nil. And he was, I, I can't remember if he went match point, but he was close to match point. Uh, and then uh, I said to my mate Dario Castaldo, which uh, a great friend of mine that works for SBS, I said, this is when the match starting. Uh, as a joke, and it wasn't a joke because Simon just went on. Like he, he, he pissed off Chilich a couple of times with a couple of shots that were just totally unreal. And then all of a sudden, the, the match turned up, turned on, and turned up, upside down. I would say. And then next second, what you what we saw is uh, Gael Monfils rocks up. 
to watch his mate playing. And like he was, he was 11:30 or something. And Gabe rocks up. He finished his match, went to the shower, did the press, and he rocks up. And he was in front of us, and we were able to chat during the whole match because there was not that many people around court 17. I tell you what. <laughs> and it, the whole match finished at like half, half past one yeah. or something. And 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 Simon won. And he won that match, and I remember exactly when it was. Then he qualified, and the next round he was going to play Andy Murray. And that match against Andy Murray, he said straight away, he said, "Look, I've left so much energy there that I know I am not going to compete. I'm going as a uh, as a sparring partner for Andy Murray because it's uh, impossible for me to win that match." And he went, and he did cause a bit of trouble. We went out on three sets uh, with Andy Murray, but. For me, Simon was that kind of player. Uh, Henri Lecomte could have been as well if I had a chance to see him play at that age. Is that anything could happen? He yeah. would step in on court and two sets down, match point, no problem, mate. It's not finished. You know, it's it's yeah. actually not finished. And this is what tennis is all about. I think this is what tennis is all about. It's one of the only sports where, when you think about it, there's no finish line. There's no timing. He, he basically, you have to, if you want to win, you have to play the last ball and you have to win the last point. That's the only way you can win or someone retires. But there's no finish line like there is in cycling. There's no 90 minutes of play. Uh, and no matter how good you are and how rubbish your opponent is, you still have to score those points. Yep, this and that's, ex- end of. that's exactly right. And Simon is, and I liken him a lot to Leighton Hewitt and the way that Leighton Hewitt played because they are fighters, counter punches, they absorb their opponents. Play and Simon unfortunately is taking a little bit of leave of absence yeah. from tennis because I think COVID has kind of rocked him a little bit more than what it has other players. And watching him a few weeks ago against Dennis Novak uh, in France, and I've never seen Simon throw a racket, I've never seen him smash a racket, but he did both of those that night. And you could obviously see that something's wrong because he's generally such a cool, calm, and collected person that is, yeah, he and, and he has been such a joy to watch. And Joel and I are actually talking about him a few weeks ago when he played Federer in 2011, uh, the second round here, and he came back from two sets to love down and pushed Federer to five, fresh off winning the title in Sydney. So he can run for days, and he's been one of the most underrated players in French history, I think. Absolutely. When you think about it, I think he went top six. Yep. I think he went top six in the world, so that's, that's... In itself, an incredible uh, success. You know, there's many French players that didn't go top six. You know, yeah. uh, so that's that's incredible. For a long time, he was French number one. But also, he spoke a lot about how crazy this sport is. And and I think people are not. And I guess people are listening to the podcast know this. But the, the tennis is for me. When I explain why I, what I love about tennis is because there's one side that is very physical, of course. But actually, the most important thing is in your head. Is how, and, and this is what tennis did, did to me as a, as a kid. Like I said, I started when I was six years old. But today, I'm able to bring aspect of the sport into my own life. You know, the the point I lost or the the mistake I've made with a manager or in my life two weeks ago has got absolutely no nothing to do with what I'm living right now. Yeah. You know, and then the, the my project in six months' time, I've got nothing to do with what I'm living right now. You know, yeah. all this is all about just that next ball, that next yeah. hit, uh, and and it's the ability to distance yourself from both ends of the future and the past. Yeah. That what tennis, I think, brought me, I think, a lot better at managing the pressure you get in life. Yep, and that's exactly right, and that's something a lot of people can learn. You should be a coach, Christoph. I, I reckon there'd be a career in it for you. Um, before before we do let you go, um, Matt, we had Matt Keenan on last year, and he yeah. loves his tennis, and he said that cycling is his love, but tennis is his mistress. 
if you had to choose one, what would it be? Why only one? I'm French. I can have several mistresses. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm only giving you one option. You can't walk. You can't take both. Uh, no, I'll, 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 uh, it's a tough one for me. It's a tough one because, uh, and I tell you why it's a tough one is because I fell in love with cycling and tennis at the same time. Yeah. But I left. I, I fell out of love with cycling. So it's not like cycling has been present all my life. There's a whole era where I wasn't even watching the Tour de France. And, and I fell back in love actually with cycling coming to Australia. Yeah. Uh, just because the, the job SBS has done for me was a, a target for me to be on a team, on a yeah. crew with SBS. Because the coverage we do, like I'm, I'm glad to say we do now because I'm part of it, uh, is, is, is world class. Yeah. It's world class, totally world class. Um, so I would say the reverse of Kino. I think... Uh, uh, tennis has been my wife and cycling has been my mistress but uh, it looks like I'm moving on with my mistress that's the thing so. <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal but I wholeheartedly agree with you I think that the SBS um, Tour de France and all of the cycling coverage that SBS does is world class led by Mike Tomolaris, Matt Keenan, yourself, um, Dave McKenzie, and Robbie McEwen, and all of those guys. You guys do a and Bridie. I think Bridie has been a, an, yep. an, an, she has Bridie O'Donnell has been incredible yep. addition to the crew. It's incredible. She has been so everyone and look. I do miss Gabrielle Gatte and Tace Latour, but I'll let that one slide because the rest of you are absolutely fantastic. Um, Christ- we all do. We all do. <laughs> it was one of the best segments of sport that I've ever seen. It was fantastic. But uh, Christoph, thank you so much for joining us on Breakpoint. Viva la France, and hopefully we can see a new Grand Slam champion from your nation very, very soon. So thank you for joining me on Breakpoint. Thank you for having me, mate. Christoph Mallet there joining me from uh, from SBS, and he literally, he's amazing. He does SBS Cycling Central, SBS French, SBS Chill. He does tennis. The man can do literally anything, and to join us on the podcast and have a chat to him, about French tennis and tennis in general was absolutely phenomenal. And uh, Jordan, I don't know if you've ever had the chance of working with Christoph before, but he's a wonderful human being. I have, I have. He is a great, great man, Christoph Mallet. So I, during the 2018 World Cup, I got to work at SBS, and so I got to, I got to interact with Christoph. He was actually in Russia at the time, and then went to the Tour de France. So I wasn't with him during the event, but I met him prior to that, and then met him afterwards as well. And um, and for the last couple of years at the Oz Open, we uh, we run into each other often and have good chats at um, at Melbourne Park. So I yeah, I saw him literally a couple of weeks ago and, and was running into him constantly and sitting next to him in at, at Rod Laver Arena. So he's a great man, knows a lot about a lot of different sports. And um, uh, yeah, I love I love hanging around the SBS guys because they are so obviously that the whole their whole charter is to be um, to to um, uh, cater for the uh, for the different cultures in Australia. So it's always fun hanging around them and getting some of that, that cultural uh, vibe sort of rubbing off onto you. So it's um, it's really it's nice, and he's a big part of it, being one of the, the chief sort of sports guys at SBS. Yep, SBS is one of the... And, and I think SBS, just for the sheer uniqueness of the way that they produce their sports coverage, I think they are the premier sports broadcaster in terms of the coverage that they actually produce because it's about mm-hmm. the sport and the culture surrounding the sport. They're not trying to make it funny... Yeah. They're not trying to make it over the top. They're just trying to bring you the culture and also the actual facts. You see with the free-to-air coverages that we get in Australia, they try and do all the colour things that just make people look like toss bags. So it's it's nice to see. And 
And yeah. I mentioned before we left, um, before we ended the chat, Tasteler Tour with Gabrielle Gatte was one of yep. the <laughs> best segments that I've ever seen on a sporting coverage because it's nothing to do with sport. It's just a, chef, a French chef going around French towns, making French food and trying the French produce. And it is just brilliant. And I'm so upset that it's not there anymore because he was... Yeah, I, I I loved it as well. They had a different had a different guy last year for the Tour de France uh, SBS. They still had that similar segment, but it wasn't wasn't Gabriel Gatte, but it was still it was still great, and it still provided you a bit of that um, that that difference, I suppose, that SBS provides because they do a lot of cooking shows too. Yeah, so it kind of fits into their fits into their 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 mode of operation. Yeah, um, but yeah, their 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 uh, their Tour de France coverage last year got me through. Got, got me through lockdown for that month. Got me through yeah. a little quarantine period I had to do, and that was that was just having that every night to go to and being able to watch the Tour de France. It sort of just transports you into 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 France and looking at all those aerial shots, which is one of my favorite yeah. favorite things about any sporting broadcast anywhere in the world. Are the aerial shots that you see when you're watching the tour? Um, yeah, that that was actually one of one of my highlights of, uh, of an otherwise low light period of time last year. So I really, and I'm looking forward to it again this year. So am I. And before we do get to Benoit, the one thing I do miss about the tour is Phil, uh, Phil Liggett and Paul Sherwin together. Yeah. And the late Paul Sherwin, yeah. it's just still, still so devastating, but um, Matt Keenan and Robbie McEwen are absolutely phenomenal replacements for them. And Bridie O'Donnell as well, as we mentioned with that, uh, with Christoph. Yeah. So all three of them, do an amazing job of bringing the coverage because it's not an easy thing to commentate cycling and all three of them are absolutely phenomenal. But it is time, Jordan, and uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this segment. I think I might have brought it up with you, but this is the Benoit of the week. This is where we choose someone that's had, you know, a good week, maybe a bad week, maybe everything in between might just need a hug because we've seen with Benoit last week, he was dancing before the tournament. He was spitting on court during the tournament. He was tanking during the tournament. And then he was going out partying in Argentina after the tournament, after he lost. So um, it was a typical Benoit week. That's why he got the nomination last week. He is the leader of our Benoit of the Year. He's the leader of the Benoit of the Year. Last year, it was Novak Djokovic for his sheer idiocy. Um, but Jordan, wait, I'm going to give you a co-host honor here. of giving. We're going to do okay. two Benoit nominations this week. I'm going to give you one of them. All right, I get special I get special privileges then. All right, my my Benoit is a positive Benoit. It's a good Benoit. Uh, my Benoit of the week is twenty uh, four year old Lloyd Harris from South Africa. What a what a man this guy is! Not yeah. only for his for his uh, luscious flowing locks that sprouts out from his bandana, um, but he's actually he's playing damn well at uh, at Dubai at the moment. He's run, so he's beaten. He was down a set after losing the tiebreaker in his first match against fellow qualifiers. He was qualified for Dubai, Chris O'Connell from yep. Australia. Very so good friend of ours on the show. I know, I know. Everyone's watching it from an Australian perspective. Second round, he's beaten Dominic Team in straight sets, 6-3, 6-4. Next round, he's beaten the 14-seed Filip Krajinovic from Serbia. Then he's beaten Kane Ishikori. He's actually been all right this year, Kane Ishikori. Without being excellent, he's actually yep. been pretty decent in the quarters. And now he's got Dennis as... as at this point of recording, he hasn't played Denis Shapovalov just yet, but he's, I reckon he's a chance to beat Denis Shapovalov just on the run that he's yep. had. So he's got Denis Shapovalov in the semi, and then we'll take on either Aslan Karatsev or Andrei Rublev in the final. If he makes the final and it's Andrei Rublev, I think he'll lose. Mm-hmm. If it's Aslan Karatsev, he might lose as well. I don't think he'll go any further than uh, 
well, I don't think he win win Dubai, but I think he has it to actually. I think he's got it in him to beat Denis Shapovalov. So he's been in phenomenal form. Yeah. He actually had a pretty decent little winning run in his uh, previous tournament as well uh, in Doha. He oh no, sorry, he did. He had he had won a qualifier, beat Stan Wawrinka. That's right. Then he lost yeah. to Martin Fuksovic. And made the third round of the AO early this year, yep. too. So he's had a solid year, and he's having a great Dubai tournament. So yep. Lloyd Harris, you're my Benoit of the week. Very, very good. Speaking just quickly of Martin Fuchovic, um, played Andre Rublev, I think, for the second week in a row. Or third, uh, I think it was... Second, no, for the third week in a row, that was supposed to line up. Rotterdam final, Rublev wins. Last week in Doha, walk over to Rublev. And then this week, Rublev knocks him off in the quarterfinals of Dubai 7-5-6-2, prompting Fuchovic after the match to walk past Rublev and say, I hope I don't play you again this year. Absolutely <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal audio. And for that, he could get Benoit of the week. But look, I've got to give it to Lorenzo Musetti. I have to. He's the obvious yeah. choice. He's just He is a specimen of a human being. And fingers crossed we can see him go a long, long way in his career because it would be great for Italian tennis. And imagine seeing um, uh, Rome just absolutely erupting when this man walks out onto the court. So Lorenzo Musetti and Lloyd Harris, both with long hair. So that's a bit of a coincidence that we've uh, that we've gone for both of them this week. But honourable mentions to Fuchovic and Aslan Karatev and Andre Rublev, who's won 25 consecutive uh, ATP 500 matches, which is just unbelievable what he's been able to to pull together. But Jordan Kunalis, thank you very much for joining me on Breakpoint tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure talking tennis with you. We do this on SEN every Monday night or Tuesday night when you're hosting the overnight crowd at about 11am. Please mm-hmm. tune in to Jordan because he's, um, he's just a wonderful... Yeah, it is. Sorry, PM, not AM. But he's a wonderful broadcaster and uh, he can talk about absolutely any single sport. You name a sport, Jordan can talk about it. What's the most obscure one that you've had to discuss on air, Jordan? Uh, most obscure sport. I sort of semi-regularly get snooker, yeah, which I don't mind because I actually I don't I sort of keep up to date with snooker a little bit. Um, I think that that have that might be it. There's none others. That's, I'm trying to think of like some really weird sports, but I don't think the. Oh, I'll tell you one actually. You ever heard of Shrove Tide uh, football? It's on Shrove. It's it's on it's on that Shrove weekend. Shrove, I think it's I think it is Shrove Tuesday. They play it, and it's what? this weird form of like primitive football that was made centuries ago that they play in England. And it's a it's a sport that you play. The playing field is literally this whole town, and so you have to go from like the, it's like a five kilometer long road, and the goals are at either end. And it's like an all-in brawl. You have to get this little rock from one end to the other end, five kilometers apart, to score a goal. That's probably the that's probably the most obscure sport I've spoken about. That's um that's the most obscure sport I think I've heard of, apart from the world <laughs> slapping competition. But Jordan, thank you very much for joining me on Breakpoint. We probably strayed a little bit away from tennis in the last five minutes, but um it's been great having you on the show, and hopefully we'll be able to have you on again soon. You can follow Jordan on Twitter at Jordan Kunalis. Thanks again, mate, for joining me. No, pleasure, pleasure. I owe you one. You've been on my program numerous times, so I thought I'd get you one back. So uh, thank you. It's been it's been fun. It has been very fun. The Greek god of media, Jordan Kunalis, joining me on the podcast tonight. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod and uh, Instagram Breakpoint Podcast, Facebook at Breakpoint Pod One, or search Breakpoint Podcast. We're also on Apple Podcasts. We uh, just subscribe there, Google Podcasts, Spotify as well, or wherever you get your show. We're on Wooshka. 
there as well where you can subscribe. It's been Val Febo and Jordan Canellis talking all things tennis. Joel Frucci, hopefully back with me next week. We'll catch you then.